G'day and welcome everyone. I'm Richard Cooney, the chair of the Future Farmers Network, and thanks for tuning in to the Future Farmers Network Mentor of the Month podcast, where we hear from industry experts about their career journey, highs, lows, challenges, opportunities, and everything in between. As always, we'd love to get input into these conversations, so please send your questions to admin at futurefarmersnetwork.com.au. We'd love to. We'd also love your suggestions for future guests. So let us know if you'd love, who you'd love to hear from, um, and we'll try, try and do our best to get them on. So without any further delay, I'm pleased to introduce our mentor of the month, hailing from Western Australia, along with myself and fellow director Henry Gratt. It's Callum Blake. Henry, would you like to give a brief intro into Callum, who I understand you know pretty well? Uh, yes, Richard. I've known um, Callum for about 15 years almost. Uh, Callum has worked in corporate and farm roles. So, Callum, you've been working on the family farm in the Great Southern, and I'm here in the Wheat Belt, which means we can't do this face-to-face. So, first question, how's isolation treating you? Um, I suppose <laughs> almost business as usual, you'd say, um, with with a few exceptions, I suppose. We are limiting what we do, but, yeah, the, the farm carries on, and I suppose this time of year is generally quite busy for us, and we don't, don't go to town very often anyway, so... It might might change things a bit after seeding when I might want to go away and I can't. Yeah, I'm having trouble. No, some some of the contractors turn up and they don't want you anywhere near you. Some turn up and sort of rubbing shoulders. So, yeah, each company's sort of got a different structure I'm finding on how to deal with it, but uh, we'll just keep trying to do the best. To, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Had, um, yes, as I say, with the contractors, that's, that's interesting. Uh, we've had a few contractors through here and fuel deliveries and... Actually, all of them have been, I, I think, quite professional in their operation. And, and I think most people are starting to take this very seriously now. And, yeah, that'll be important going forward. Yeah, no, I, was, I, was more, I was just drafting lambs this morning with the local stocky. Trying to keep the distance, but, you know, you end up tr- sort of pushing lambs into a way cradle sort of within that metre and a half. It was a bit hard. And then I said, how about we go and check another mob of sheep? And he goes, no, I can't get in the car with you. I said, well, that's fair enough, no. It's only for a September sale anyway, so I wasn't too fussed about it. But yeah. it's just I just found it funny. You now you sort of in that work environment, your meter and a half gets compromised, and yet then once you, so yeah, it's just it's just a hard one that we got to keep working with, isn't it? It is, and it's just a matter of getting your your head around it. Like most of these things, that you know, we've actually got to you've got to make that conscious effort at times. You get too too comfortable. Yes, that's certainly um. Yep, no, small changes, but hopefully they'll make a big difference. And yeah, no, well, we're going to right at the moment anyway. So, yes. <laughs> um, do you mind just give me, tell me a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Um, I suppose, yeah, where, where did it all start? Somebody normally asks the question. Yeah, I suppose I grew up on a family farm. Well, I'm still still here, um, born and bred just east of Katanning. And, uh, went away to uni um, after uni, did a bit of work for ANZ Bank uh, before sort of doing some travelling, did the, uh, the standard thing and went to Europe for a few months with some mates and then, then came home to the farm. And I suppose the big thing when I came back to the farm, Dad was probably quite involved with WA Farmers at the time. and But as soon as I came back, he sort of went, well, no, this is you've got to make the decisions for your generation and pretty much gave me the handball and he ducked out. And I think with some of the uh, state farming organisations, um, I wish there was probably more of that happened. And then that's where the journey started. I I probably got a lot more involved than he did. And 
yeah, went on to join different councils and then have since joined national councils with the likes of Grain Girls Limited and had a, yeah, I suppose it started from just being born on a family farm and somewhat born into it, but then obviously taking a, an interest and in going from there. So Callum, I'd just like to touch on what you mentioned there around your farming background and your transition sort of into the corporate world and then back to farming and also just those uh, representation groups and some of those national bodies you've sat on. How have you found that transition from farming to corporate and to those groups? And I guess what have you learned and what can you pass on from that sort of journey? Um, I think the biggest thing is sort of don't, don't be afraid of changing. I mean, ag is, is a pretty wide role. And when I first went away to, to uni um, to study ag, I thought I sort of had in my mind that a sort of, you know, I'd like to be an agronomist or the like. And then um, actually after doing my, I did my professional practice with Landmark at the time and I actually spent a fair bit of time with the people covering insurance type stuff and, and the banking side of things. And actually, I actually enjoyed that a lot more than I did the, the soil science type stuff. And so that's what led me to uh, take up a role with ANZ. And then, yeah, I think, you know, that, that wasn't a, I suppose when I went and went away to uni or when I was at school, that was not something I ever thought I would end up doing. But after sort of having that bit of an experience, so I suppose part of that is, you know, keep your eyes open. Don't, don't be afraid of just trying something different and, and even just do it for a short period of time and just see whether you enjoy it. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that was where I sort of made that transition into working in a, you know, a corporate type role. Um, and then, yeah, then after that, coming coming back to the farm, and then probably then when I joined um, WA Farmers, I got on the Grains Council, and I suppose one of the big things is don't be afraid to sort of have your say. I, when I remember when I, I felt a bit intimidated when I first started, I was much younger than anyone else on the um, on the committee, and you sort of think that maybe you're you know if you haven't got the experiences or the knowledge to have to sort of pipe up, and then when you start talking and then they actually respect what you're saying, you go, Oh, hang on, maybe I, I am. And so I suppose, yeah, don't, don't, don't think you don't have the experience, just pipe up. And most of these groups will be quite accepting of what you've got to say. And then that's actually led uh, through that stuff into sitting on the national policy group with grain growers limited. And that's actually, you start making some decisions at a national level. And then when you see uh, politicians coming out and making their decisions, you sort of, you realise they're actually listening to what you've been saying in some of those groups, and so you can have quite an impact on the the national ag sector just by, yeah, just by being there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good summary of how you can really influence things from from the ground up. Um, so just just on that journey, I guess just to round that out, what, what learnings or I guess what advice would you give? to those young farmers who are looking to sort of move in a similar way to representing their sort of local councils or grain councils or moving on to these industry bodies, where do they start? I think the biggest thing is turn up. Um, any number of the, you know, anybody like, well, my, my limited experience, well, probably not limited anymore, but my experience in the state farming organisations, particularly with WA Farmers, is that the more people that turn up, the better. The, the more robust discussion that's had and the more you get out of it like that, everyone gets out of it. So I think the key is turn up. I mean, the world's run by those that turn up. If you, um, and don't be afraid even just to pick up the phone and ring people that are involved on these councils and, and uh, you'll find you get, you, you know, they'll respect what you've got to say and actually may well invite you along and yeah, try and get, get your view heard. 
So how do you prioritise your work-life balance? Um, with difficulty. Um, I think that's the big thing. You've, I suppose you need to have the ability to say no. Um, you can't do everything. I mean, I've, I've found at times myself where I've ended up with too many jobs on, and I remember there was, uh, yeah, probably five or six years ago, there was one particular February, and out of the 28 days of February, I spent four of them home on the farm. You don't, don't achieve much there, and, and to be honest, don't have much of a life balance either. So you, you can be involved and do a lot, but at the end of the day, you've probably just got to prioritise your time and, um, and just say no to some of these jobs. Um, otherwise, you'll just end up, they sort of, yeah, if you, if you want something done, ask a busy person. But at the end of the day, sometimes you get to the point where you're just actually too busy and you can't do everything. So I think the key is, yeah, learning how to say no. Yeah. No, I remember when I first approached you for this, it sort of, we had to discuss it to work in with it. So I just said, you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah. But you still find you still find in all that time to post some entertaining tweets. I see. Uh, yeah, you, but that's 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 uh, multitasking. Probably the benefit of auto steer and like um, and and having a little bit of time parked at the sale yards or something when you're delivering sheep. But yeah, you can you can fit them in. So, Callum, with the social media, what do you see as the as an opportunity, or or how can the youth in farming really harness social media to help? help the industry, the wider industry? Um, I think social media is a very powerful tool and can be used to reach... Well, I suppose what we have to think about is, you know, and, I, and I'm probably guilty of it myself when I put out a tweet, like, who am I sending it to? And, and majority of the time, we're in a bit of an echo chamber and we're sending, as the ag sector, we're probably sending, putting out tweets and different things that are sort of more targeted around that ag sector. But I think we've probably got to try and broaden our horizon. And if we can... If we can try and make that connection through social media to not just the end user, because for us in WA in particular, majority of our um, produce is exported, but we've, that that local end user that's using sort of ten to twenty percent of what we produce, but also they they have a large influence on a lot of the decisions that are made around how we operate. So, yeah, you know, some throw the term around social license, but we've got to so we can use social media to try and educate is probably not the right word, but inform the, these people that are living outside of the ag sector about what we do. And, and the real critical thing is why we do it. And that personal, you know, that, that reasoning around why, um, you know, there's been some big ones around um, live export and the like, and just throwing facts and figures at, you know, at the people that don't, they either don't understand it or they just don't want to hear that. But there, there's a lot more to it. There's actually, you know, the animal welfare side of things is actually important and, and we have a, we can have actually, a, from WA, we can actually influence the animal welfare globally by being involved with that trade, but if we're not in there, we can't. And it's little things like that that I think are probably more important than just the numbers. And I guess around yeah. Australia at the moment with the current situation, a lot of businesses are sort of harnessing the ability to work remotely, um, do things by video conferencing, and just generally collaborate by technology. Do you see any potential benefits to farming communities, like more on the, I guess, the operators in, in country towns or regions being able to connect better and knowledge share in those sorts of ways? Oh, I think so. I think um, we we are a very remote, um, you know, sort of industry and, and only getting more so due to the fact that 
a lot of farms are being sold and bought up by by bigger farms and so our communities are are shrinking but then our our network is still is probably growing because we can actually contact not necessarily face to face but either either social media and over the phone but even sometimes you might pick up your phone to ring someone and have a chat to them but you might um, be in communication with them on different uh, forms of social media and then you can have that discussion yeah you can sort of have a bit of a discussion then actually when you catch up with them face to face next time you haven't got 12 months or you know or more to catch up on because you've actually been aware of what's happening in their life um i was going to ask you do you with the don't worry we're still here farming or no we've been practicing the self-isolation memes and that have been going around on social media for the last couple of weeks oh, since the lockdown yeah. do you think comments like that are actually helping or hindering our our um statements and positions Oh, yeah, they're, they're probably just, some of them are probably just more entertaining than anything else. But I think as far as the, I think what actually needed to happen was there, there was probably a large group of the population just sort of needed to be informed that we aren't going to run out of food in Australia. We actually have. And so probably some are more of the official stuff that came out rather than some of the individual uh, social media type stuff. And even little things, um, I'm not sure how it's progressed further, but with CBH um, looking at putting out their stocks information, I mean, it was it was very uh, high-level data, but it was really just about showing the average consumer that we do have plenty of food here in Australia to get us through uh, the next portion. So I think some of that was, yeah, probably just a bit of a calm, trying to have a calming effect, but not, yeah, not necessarily... Um, yeah, probably a bit removed from the usual sort of connection. It was, it was probably just more of a, a single targeted event. Uh, right, I, I didn't take that CBH announcement that way. I took it that they were actually listening to the growers' request, but that's a that's a different issue for another day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So tell us about a lesson you've learnt the hard way. Probably sometimes you've got to be a bit more diplomatic. Um, when one one job I had at one point, um, yeah, when they ask you like, "What's wrong with the management?" Probably don't tell them. Um, <laughs> well, or, or no, that's not right. Yeah, you need to tell them, but don't uh, probably be you know careful how you tell it because otherwise you might find yourself looking for a different job. Um, <laughs> uh, use a, use a more positive big word spin than just saying they're idiots. Is what you're yeah, saying. yeah, no, it wasn't even that. I actually went into a meeting with a page full of um, yeah issues with management, and um, yeah, I ended up finding looking for another job in a month's time. <laughs> so, if you were going to do that again, how would you have gone about it? Um, probably would have just tried to um, raise raise issues sort of one at a time. Um, and probably be a little bit more diplomatic around about them. I was probably a bit young and silly and kind of, yeah, probably use the softly, softly approach rather than the sledgehammer. And, you know, unless it's a, you know, there's certain issues where sometimes you just need to be direct. Um, but, yeah, a lot of these things probably weren't. They were just little things, but I'd probably had enough and was, yeah, got a little bit carried away on it. So what is the most underrated value in your view? Um, probably the, yeah. It's tough on the ability to say no, because you, it's it's a tough one in the sense that if you keep saying yes to everything, um, yeah, you find yourself. You know, some people say, "Oh, you just don't say no," but um, I think you've just got to say no and actually, because if you say start saying no to some stuff, you'll prioritise what you're going to put your time and effort into, 
and probably putting more time into less things, you can achieve more outcomes because you're actually more focused in what you're doing. Well, it saves people just assuming that you're going to be there and, and do it too. Yes. Oh, I've seen yeah. that happen. Yeah. You... Yeah. So I definitely agree to do less things very well than trying to do everything partly well. Yes. Or mediocrely. Yep. <laughs> um, so I guess just an overall question, why do you do what you do? The position you're um, in now, where you've ended up in your journey, I guess, why is the question? Uh, because you can have it, I suppose, like with my, <laughs> why do I farm? Because I don't know anything else. No, that's <laughs> the, the representation type stuff is probably because when you, when you get involved in it and then, um, like I sort of mentioned earlier, you you go to a meeting and you, you develop some policy and then that policy gets sent off to government and then when you see like a an agricultural white paper or something come out and there's a lot of stuff in there that you've actually you, you're reading through it going actually that was that's come from us like we've we've had that impact and we've had that change and to actually feel like you're actually achieving something for your industry um that's what takes me back and keeps me there probably leads well into that. the next question which is what are you most proud of in your career today um i don't know to have one individual thing is probably tough but probably um oh different you know my time with grain growers and stuff the amount of um i suppose when you you have a meeting with politicians and stuff and then they actually when they've taken a lot of that stuff on board, there's just a lot of it. Um, and then, yeah, when you see uh, government policy being developed and you know that you've had a, you know, a pretty direct impact in actually making that happen. Um, I suppose that's a bit of a general thing rather than one individual point, but that's kind of where I'm at. I suppose it's difficult to put any one thing down. So, yeah, that sounds good. So following on from that, how would you describe your personal leadership style? <laughs> Oh, not needs work. Um, I it's <laughs> under construction still. No, I'm not sure. I probably probably need yeah, genuinely does probably need work in the sense that I'm probably a little bit pushy pushy as I get get older. I probably try and slow down a bit and and be a little bit more diplomatic as I said about things that happened earlier. Um, yeah, so just try and lead by example. Obviously, is that you know just to you want to be a leader, not a boss, I suppose, is what where you want to be. Like, don't ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do. And I try and, yeah, go with that. Um, yeah, whether it's a style, but yeah. <laughs> so you're sort of trying to lead from the front and just, yeah, just get, in just get on with it sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard one, that. No, you probably didn't even think that you're, you had a leadership style until we asked you really, did you? Well, that, that's the, the other bit, I suppose. Yeah. I don't, you know, you know, are you a leader? Well, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself that, but then I suppose that's where I think leaders are probably not a, that's not a position that's dictated by you, but it's a position dictated by others that put you in that position. Um, yeah. You know, you can't, you know, oh, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be up the top there. It's a matter of if other people are actually, asking for your advice and doing things within that, I suppose, generates that position. Yeah. Yeah. So in hindsight, what message would you give to your 20 year old self? Apart from the um, obvious. Yeah. 
probably just yeah still once again just turn up do you know the world's run by those who turn up um i'd probably say go forward and and don't be afraid to have your say but then at the same time um you know probably be a little bit more diplomatic and just gently gently um you can achieve a lot by just just being there and having your say but without you know but you need you need everybody on board so try not to piss too many people off so try and work with more people instead of sort of being a bit standoffish. Yeah, the the more people you can have involved in going forward, the more you can achieve generally. Would you say you try to be like friends with everyone or you sort of just, I have a job to do, you fit in with what I'm doing now? <laughs> I don't know. It's um, just, it's just yeah. going back to, to your point about you know, being diplomatic and so forth. But if you started caving into everyone, who came along, well then, yeah, no, you're just going to be so swamped by even more. That's where I'm yeah, sort of coming no, no, from. Yeah. Um, somewhere in the middle, I think. You um, you don't want to be, yeah, you, you, you can never be everybody's friend. You're never going to make everybody happy. Um, but pick the people you want to be friends and pick the people you do want to try and make happy um, and then sort of move forward to that. So, yeah, you... and. and and probably under try and understand everybody's point of view, but you don't have to um, don't have to be friends with them still. Like you can, yeah. If if someone um, you know completely you know has a completely opposite ethos to what uh, what you are trying to achieve, well then that's it's just going to waste your energy in actually sort of trying to convince them to change or try and you try and change your yeah too hard. So you know, pick your battles. Yeah, sort of try and become a better judge of people straight up is. Is yeah, what I take you, sort of from it. You've only got so much time and energy to do these things, so you've just got to pick where that, um, where that's going to be best spent to try and achieve the, the best outcome. So, with that in mind, do you do you think attending networking and, I guess, upskilling sort of workshops and the like that are happening in your regional areas? Do you see that as, I guess, a more valuable use of time when you are trying to, I guess, broaden your network but limit, I guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've, I, I think I've probably um, picked up as much in life by the people I've met as opposed to the study or anything like that I've done. Um, people get you everywhere. And yeah, be, that's probably one of the big things about being involved in some of the national representation stuff I've done and, and even on state-based stuff is the, the people you, um, you meet along the way um, can have a huge, um, yeah, huge impact on on what what you can achieve and I suppose yeah probably go go to those events and stuff yeah the people that you meet will get you further so attend yep. future farmers networking events is what I'm hearing definitely definitely <laughs> put them in your calendar <laughs> uh, that's good so what do you think what do you believe is the biggest challenge for young people in the ag industry um well Probably just trying to um, <laughs> trying to convince the the average voter that what we're doing is is the right thing. You know, a bit around that social license type stuff. I think that's a we've there's a lot of people making that are going to be making. Yeah, as you know, we're our own worst nightmare, I suppose. And the fact that ag is self is sort of you know, and farmers are getting smaller. I mean, the ag sector is probably still quite large, and people employed off farm sort of thing. But yeah, the we're actually reducing our population base directly employed in the industry 
And so therefore we've got to try and, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that aren't directly involved in the industry are having a large say on, on what happens going forward. So we've got to try and um, convince those, yeah, convince those people that what we're doing is right and try and get them to vote and make the right decisions for us. <laughs> yeah, certainly um, pushing that, that six points of connection for around the world, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the world is getting smaller, if you like, as far as connectivity goes. Um, and so that sort of, we've just got to keep an eye on that. Probably the other, if, if from a challenge as far as like from an individual person's point of view, probably be just some of the remoteness that we're probably going to face, but then that um, connectivity issue, which possibly in some regional areas needs a fair bit of work um, as we sit here having a having an online uh, discussion um, with with two of us seem to have an internet connection that's going all right and one of us seems to be <laughs> having a bit of noise and issues in the background so yeah the fact that we live in a remote area we probably really need a you know some better infrastructure around that mm, it is the joys one of the joys of living in the country though it, it is and uh, I'm only 20 k from a major center and our internet connection is yeah limited at time. Well, Callum, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that you thought might be of value to uh, the youth in agriculture and farming around Australia? Any tips for the youth or anything further you'd like to touch on that might be of use to them? Um, not really, just go out and have a go. Ag's a great sector. Um, that's probably the other bit that I like, you know, somebody asked me, oh, what would you do if you sold the farm? Well, it's like, well, I'd probably, um, still say try and stay in ag somewhere because it's it's a great group of people and yeah you there, there's any you can you can do anything in ag just about um from yeah playing playing with dirt and soil to yeah like the corporate type stuff for yeah there's some really quite high level technology type stuff in there now too which is yeah really quite exciting yeah it's very true and a good point on it Good way to end the podcast. So thanks, Callum, for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure our audience will probably have a few questions coming your way over the next week or so. Um, so that's it for this month. We'd love to hear your thoughts, as I mentioned. If, you, if you'd like to contact us on Facebook or Twitter, um, we look forward to bringing you another enlightening and motivating podcast next month. And please visit fitchfarmsnetwork.com.au to access the podcast and other great material. Cheers and thanks again, Callum. No worries. Thanks for having me on.